Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and I'm so honored to have Summer Rain Oaks with me today. How are you? I'm absolutely great. Thanks for having me on here. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us your really unique way of looking at plants. So I'm a big fan of eating plant-based diet, so I'm always pushing plants, but I, I never really understood the work that you're doing. So it's really incredible. And I got some fun things to share with that as well. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with plants and really becoming quite the mover and moving it, changing a, a whole generation, I think, of people, how we look at indoors and green? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, part of what you're referring to is my work now. Uh, you know, there's been an interest in my work over the last three years of just actually growing my plants indoors. And I wouldn't even have considered it my work. It was just something that I've always done. And people have always commented and highlighted, um, you know, my home. But for whatever reason, three years ago, it really hit the airwaves and hit, hit like a chord, an emotive chord with people. Um, to summarize it, uh, you know, we're speaking now and uh, I have a little over 1,100 plants in my 1,200 square foot apartment here in Brooklyn, New York. And I think that has resonated with a lot of folks on levels for so many different reasons. And I think a lot of folks have been highlighting the millennial generation, which is the generation that I'm part of and the reasons for that. And I think I have some, you know, theories of my own and, and I could also speak for myself. But um, to kind of backtrack it, and answer your question, my background is actually environmental science and entomology. That's where I spend most of my days kind of thinking about sustainability as it relates to our health and our wellness and our everyday practices, like everything that kind of affects our lifestyle and the way of life. And I had always wanted to write a plant book um, and, and, you know, feature more of the work that I grew up with that I'm very passionate about. But when I graduated university, it didn't seem like it made sense to go directly into the field of environmental science. It, it felt more natural to kind of go outside of the world that like really thought and acted like me. And so I think I found myself in the world of fashion and beauty and media and all that kind of thing that really affected kind of the, the current zeitgeist or the pop cultural aspects of people. And I think that's, you know, was far away from what I envisioned myself in, but I would never have um, traded that in for anything because I think that has really given me a unique perspective and the fact that I've been able to really carry that ethos of sustainability and my values through those industries, I think has really opened up my eyes and opened up doors to, to new opportunities and has allowed me you know, to you know, approach plants in maybe a, a different kind of way. What an interesting marriage of your studies of environmental science and your professional modeling career. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in the book and I, and everyone, I'll have a link to everything. And when we go out, but the, how to make a plant love you, I tell you, I, I absolutely loved it. And, um, it really resonated with me because I can understand living in different places, you know, in the country and you're close to nature and then you're in your city dweller and you're surrounded by concrete and you miss that. And we don't understand how much we miss it until we're back into it. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your background? Cause I think it's really fun. Your stories that you talk about growing up and it kind of leads to your, the whole, um, way the book is wrapped around, not only plants, but just your, your mindfulness of nature and how it can do us well spiritually and everything. So. 
Yeah, so I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. If anybody's kind of familiar with that area, I grew up um, north of Scranton. So that area is, uh, you know, has been really, I would say, ravaged to a certain extent or imprinted upon by the coal mining industry. So I spent some of my teenage years actually working on mine sites. Prior to that, I think I was just like one of those kids who loved being out in nature. I do think that a lot of the, the kids that I went to school with appreciate nature and probably even more so now, you know, now that they've kind of like grown older and realized that they can't take these things for granted. Um, but I was definitely like one of the most like nature oriented in school and that, you know, has, you know, stayed with me until now and, um, and then some, and of course, like uh, it's, it feels more acute now that I've kind of moved, you know, out of the country and into the city. And like you said, when you go back into that environment, you, you begin to realize like how much it actually means to you. So, you know, I, I think, um, there's a lot of stories that I didn't share like in the book, but. I know that, you know, one of my first show and tells in kindergarten actually happened to be, we had a cleaned out gallon container of ice cream. Um, so I took that container and we had a, I think it was a really bad tent caterpillar infestation that year. And I scraped them all off the side of my house and, you know, put them, you know, literally from the top to bottom within this gallon ice cream container and poked holes in the top of the container and literally brought that to school and I remember seeing the look uh, on my teacher's face when I opened it up. And I was like, really, it's so cool. Like you get to touch them and they're furry. And I like poured them out onto the tabletop and all the kids were like, Su super cool, like awesome. But the teacher was like horrified. So she's like, okay, put those away. And like all the kids were like helping me like put them away. And I just think that goes to show you that, you know, the, the natural curiosity that certain kids have. And if like somebody says it's cool, they also think it's cool. Um, and it really takes, you know, kind of like the parent or the adult to be like, no, that's kind of gross. So I, you know, I think that there's certain things that we kind of learn, you know, from, you know, just our, our culture. But as a child, I was really fascinated, particularly with the things that were kind of like creepy and crawly and small and insignificant. Those are the things that I, I just really had, you know, observational interest and prowess for, I suppose. Um, and one of the stories that I actually tell is, you know, my, my brother, um, my, my uncle, uh, you know, lived in Europe and he had gotten my brother a birthday present. And I'd never gotten birthday presents from my uncle because my, my brother is his godson. So, um, and I wasn't his goddaughter. So he would always give like my brother like amazing presents. And one of his presents happened to be a really beautiful German made microscope that my brother never used. And I, recall like waiting because to see if he'd ever use it and since he never used it I ended up like taking the microscope and using it to make my own slides looking at the slides that they had and that really opened up my world to you know a whole other level you know because you're always like looking at the world through your own eyes but then being able to do it on a different perspective and through a different lens you know all puns and uh, all pun intended like that that was you know fascinating to me so you know, there's these elements that I think that, uh, you know, I, I cherish and I look back on and I'm like, oh, that was a really formative part of my life or that has helped shape kind of my world. And I think when writing How to Make a Plant Love You and, and writing that book, you know, all of these thoughts and ideas and all of your experiences really come to the fore, you know, and, and I think that's where, 
that's where I love to write. You know, I think that's where I think my, a lot of my writing is the strongest. And I think that, you know, what I hope is that people could then start to, you know, think about their own lives and reflect upon that because this book is very introspective and it helps to take people on a, their own personal journey to figure out how they can um, connect to nature and learn kind of like the soft skills, if you will, in order to be more observant and more mindful in this world. I think that's a great segue into one of the stories on page 55. Hold on. I've earmarked your book. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's interesting because I do a lot of reading, you know, being a physician, you know, I do a lot of scientific stuff and I always loved bugs as a kid as well. I did entomology when I was like in 4-H and all that stuff, um, biology major. And so I, I understand what your, your um, desire and love of, of observation. And like you said, as we grow older, we we change, right? We, we conform to what culture expects of adults and we lose that beautiful insight and, you know, just the observations that we had as children. But what I love though, about what you're talking about, because mindfulness has been a big part of, I think with my patients, um, having success and helping them overcome unhealthy habits. And I'm actually going to start using, I'll get to that in a second. I'm very excited about the horticultural therapy, but we'll get to that in a second because, um, I think it can do wonders for my patients who I see because I'm a family medicine doc, so I see all sorts. Um, but you mentioned here, and I would love for you just to kind of um, expand upon it, is that I set, this is what you were saying, I set that intention each morning when I go for a walk. One plant I always pass on these walks is the persistent smooth sumac, the rust glabra, I hope I say that right, mm-hmm. with permanently compound leaves that spread like large green plumes on bright red leaf stems. Your writing is so clear and I picture that in my mind. That's what I love about good writers is that you can actually see what you wanted us to see. Like we're, we're, in, we're kind of peeking in behind the curtains of your mind when you're writing that. So can you share with this? Because you describe this as active observation. And can you just kind of expand? Because I think that's kind of what you were hinting towards there. Yeah. So I think that if I ask people to observe a plant you know first of all people might not even observe a plant or anything it's not doesn't have to be a plant but in this case you know it's plants and um if i ask people to observe it they might not even know how to observe and and i take that for granted because as a naturalist as somebody who has been trained to be in a naturalist and ecologist you know it's quite funny because uh you know you go out in the environment and nothing has tags on it nothing have name tags and you know, I get a lot of people who Instagram me and DM me and they're like, what, what's this plant? Because I want to know how to take care of it. And I almost think that the name of the plant is, is absolutely insignificant because if you could actually just observe the qualities of the plant, you begin to understand what that plant may actually need. Even if you're wrong, if you start to actively observe the plant, you could actually start telling yourself some stories and trialing it, creating theories and, you know, then Googling those theories or actually uh, not only Googling those theories, but actually, um, you know, trying to prove those theories out in the environment. It doesn't have to be from a scientific perspective. It could be just from an observational perspective. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get people pigeonholed in this idea of that it has to be, you know, scientific because sometimes the greatest discoveries are not through a lens of science. And sometimes that could be very, can diminish the ability for us to observe in a way that might be, you know, kind of different from a scientific observational uh, mindset. So 
if I tell people to observe plants, they might just say, oh, well, their leaves are green. Um, and then I'm like, well, what else? And then what else? And then what else? And, you know, you could go down that level of, of, of list. But, you know, I, uh, this act of observation is, you know, observation to me, in many ways, some people would say that it's a passive thing. But for me, it's kind of an active, uh, an act, a form of action that you do that may be quiet and that you do it internally. Um, whereas, you know, I also introduce in the book something called a moving meditation, which it kind of flips it on its head. It's like active observation and moving meditation. Well, isn't that unusual that usually the meditation is something that is uh, silent and then the observation is usually also, you know, something that is not as active. So it's, it's a way to be present in the, in the moment. Both of them are ways to be present in the actual moment, but to be telling yourself in your head different stories about that particular plant that you are observing at that very moment. In the case of the Rus glabra, which I, I have to say, unfortunately, has been cut down <laughs> since the time oh. I actually wrote the book. And that was like one of my suppositions because there's a lot of, a lot of construction happening in the area. Um, you know, I was like, well, how did it get there? Because it's in a very unusual space. And, um, and I try to share with people that, you know, what that plant looks like, you know, what the leaves look like, how the texture might be, even if I've never gone up and actually felt the plant, you know, what are my eyes actually seeing? And how do I, you know, take people there with me to teach folks how to observe? And as you go and transform yourself in this active observation, you actually slow yourself down. You know, so here, here I am in the middle of the city with all of the cacophony that is around me, everybody on their phones going one place to the next. And here you are really deep in your mind and in your thought, actually playing out like a theater in your mind, you know, how this plant got there, um, you know, what it's about, how it's going to be, you know, two, three, four years from now. And, um, and that actually helps calm you in a way, or it helps calm me. So these are the, these are the practices that the mindful practices that I share throughout the book that I think are not insignificant because as you start to adopt these skill sets in your habits and make these like part of your daily rituals, it really changes your life from the inside out. Absolutely. And I think you have some very good examples. Um, these I'm assuming are people who have taken part of your course or follow you on Instagram, but you share some really neat, um, you know, people write you quotes and you talk about, you know, a lot of them are dealing with anxiety. A lot of them are dealing with depression and how just the, the ability to monitor and look at a plant and say, you know, they're observing it, but then they do some reflection within themselves and how then they change internally. I kind of, I like that. That's the mindfulness aspect of it. But when, so I have these two plants, you, like I said earlier, you inspired me to have, now I have seven because we just moved here. So I got all, I did all my research and was like, I made sure they're right. So now I was like, I'm going to actively observe these guys for two weeks, just like Summerain said, and just see, you know, what's so cool though, is you are, you're looking at like, there's some, I'll just show you this one. It's kind of goofy, but <laughs> this one here, it has oh, like yeah. some really thin striations and it yeah. almost looks like someone sketched the leaf. And I thought that was so cool because I, I love to draw and, um, 
I, I, I can't imagine if you, when then I, I run and I'm, I'm training for an ultra marathon and I'm looking at all the plants as I'm running, trying not to trip on myself now, because now I'm looking at all these plants going, I wonder where this one comes from. I wonder what that does. So that, and is what's fun though, is that translates to other habits, right? Um, why am I overeating? Why am I stressed? Why am I letting anxiety take hold of me at this point? Because that teaches them a very important skill that we've lost, I think, in this busy world. So I yeah, think and I, I, you know, you're welcome. And I think, um, I think that the, you know, point to make is when do you actually feel anxious? Like, is it as you're scrolling through your social media feed? Is it, you know, uh, as you're, as you're walking to work, you know, and where are the things that you actually feel um, you know, calmer and, and knowing how to stop yourself and just observe that within yourself, I think is super important. And I think there's a lot that you could intuit, you know, from the book because, and it's not just about, it's really, you know, partially about plants and our relationship guide to plants, but it's also really about like you and, and the person who's reading the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, and that's what I think is really, um, important. That plant, by the way, is a uh, Calathea Makayana. <laughs> yes, I had yeah. it written down. She, the lady yeah. wrote it down for me. And yeah, yeah. Bright and keep moist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really likes to be moist and it, it dries out. I, I, yeah. I do um, distilled water with mine because oh. the, uh, the water that I have here in New York, I think it's too hard for it. The, the minerals can really affect that oh, one. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because then I, you know, there's this, you know, and then I'm, I was looking, it's funny because someone mentioned to me, that um, you should get succulents because they do well in, in low light. I was like, I don't think so because those have really rubbery leaves. I think they yeah. should be bright light. <laughs> so, you know, I'm starting to think about the characteristics yeah. of the different things and um, that I never knew before. And I used to love gardening and had house plants before. My grandmother used to be the most amazing garden that she had in her, mm-hmm. her patio area. And um, she would have plants that would just grow all over. And it was just very similar. She had one room that reminds me of your apartment that I've seen on Instagram. And um, just so fun. Just, ah, uh, it's amazing. And it really does brighten up a space and it makes you happy. And it's just, it's very good. I never knew I'd get so excited over plants. I really, I mean, I've been eating them. <laughs> but I wanted to mention, I just want to ask, how did you come across the um, horticultural therapist? Because I reached out to Matthew Wichrowski, and so I'm going to interview him as well. Because of oh, your, fantastic. Because I think that's so important. I think what a beautiful thing I can add to what I already do with my patients is actually, you know, bringing in plants and bringing in nature. I never would have thought of that. And it's such a unique perspective that even primary care physicians can lend to their patients. Um, so I think that's really a phenomenal. So how did you come across that? And how, how did you decide to bring that into the book? Well, I think Matthew will be a wonderful guest and be able to share, you know, a lot, a lot more because, you know, he does this as a practice, but there are two different types of things. There's horticultural therapy and there's therapeutic horticulture. And one is more quantitative and one's more qualitative. And in many cases, a lot of those folks who contributed quotes who you'd mentioned earlier in my book really do practice um, therapeutic horticulture where, you know, they, they themselves say that this makes them feel better, but there's no quantitative way, you know, they're not going to a doctor and and incorporating this in their lives and taking measurements every day to see if their blood pressure decreases or whether their mood elevates or anything along those lines. So this is something that sometimes, you know, we all participate in by taking a walk in the, 
in the forest or if I go to my community garden, I feel usually, you know, a lot calmer. You know, these, these are the things that I think that we might naturally practice in our daily lives but might not have a name for it. So I came across this, um, oh, geez, like, you know, I was, I've, I've been aware of um, horticultural therapy probably for, I would say, six or seven years now, um, you know, as a, as a name. And, and it hasn't been in practice really for quite some time. I, I mean, I do document that, you know, flowers and plants have been a part of medicinal qualities for quite some time. And it was brought into the sphere of um, hospitals and uh, in all different types of eras. It might have not had been given a name, and we think about all the herbs and plant-based medicines and foods and drinks that we eat and imbibe in that could actually make us feel good, but we didn't necessarily think about like, well, how does it affect you know us being out in nature or even having them in our homes? Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I definitely wanted to highlight in the book and you know, for me, I've always, you know, incorporated plants in my life. And, and in a way, I think that's a very proactive measure, you know, for, so for me to feel more at home in the city, for me to feel less stressed, to, for me to feel the most productive, I have taken a very proactive measure to bring that kind of in, stuff into my life. Whereas, you know, a lot of folks actually do a more reactive measure where they might actually, you know, have too much of a high stress job. Um, you know, they go through a terrible breakup and in, as a result, they are looking for certain things that they can help them make them feel better. And in many cases that could be yoga, that could be a diet change, that could be a job change. It could actually be bringing plants into our lives. It could be, you know, getting a community garden plot. There's so many different aspects, um, to it. But, um, I wanted to bring some of those voices into my book on both horticultural therapy and therapeutic horticulture, because I wanted to show a little bit more of the range um, that, that, you know, could be. And I thought it was very important to actually bring in, you know, not only Matthew's voice, but the voices within my community. And I'm so happy that I did that because I wasn't sure, you know, how, how people would respond sharing, like in many ways, some of their most vulnerable stories. I mean, some of those quotes that people shared and some of them had been, you know, um, synthesized and cut down from like maybe longer stories, but, you know, they're very, they're very touching. I mean, everything from, you know, uh, a mom who had a very tenuous relationship with her daughter to, you know, people going through um, the deepest forms of anxiety and depression. And, you know, in, in a way, there's this part of acceptance that it may actually always be a part of their lives and that is life, but they found different ways to kind of manage it. And I think that's always really important. Sometimes we focus on eliminating certain aspects of our life, certain things within our life. And then when it comes back, we have trouble dealing with it. Whereas if we have a set of tools to be able to manage things and be able to adjust our expectations that maybe we don't have to focus on the elimination of this. And, you know, I kind of maybe have developed that perspective from, for instance, you know, the book that I wrote prior to this is called Sugar Detox Me to help people reduce, uh, you know, their sugar intake in their diet. And it's so easy for us to, you know, 
just given our environment to fall off the horse and, you know, have this moment of uh, stress or despair and go back to sugar in our world. And my take on it, and this might not be your take or anybody else's take is that's okay. Don't beat yourself up over it. You know, you have a foundation that you could come back to. And if you know those foundational principles and you are easy on yourself and your own self-esteem and you love yourself from a deeper level, then um, knowing that you could come back to those foundationals um, skill sets and that foundational level of knowledge so that you could correct it and to not beat yourself up over it, but to understand you know, why you may have done that in the first place and to love yourself for it and then get back on the horse. You know, it's, it, it's not that, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's maybe easier said than done, but it's a, um, opportunity for us to learn and not learn from a mistake, but to learn from our experience and to have that as part of our overall life. And so, you know, these are the things that I try to bring these are the principles that I think that I try to bring in, you know, my own daily practices and hopefully through my writing as well, no matter if it's like a book on plants or a book, a book on food. I, I agree a hundred percent. So, I mean, what I see with patients, I've been a doc now for pushing 20 years. And what you see is that a lot of people don't even understand that they can have a skill set to deal with this, right? So they're very reactionary and they feel out of control. And so I think that's a big part of what you're, you're kind of hinting around to is those skill sets that you can go back. So it's a journey, right? So I use this word often with patients is like, you're walking through a journey to find better health. And what's been really fun is transitioning from traditional family medicine, which I still practice, but bringing in a holistic approach of the mindfulness. And so it's really fun to talk to patients, you know, about when they're anxious, you know, people are like, why would you be excited about talking about it to an anxious patient? Because I'm like, there's so many things that they don't even know that they can do, mm-hmm. you know, changing their diet, like you described, you know, looking at, you know, breathing, looking at being mindful of what's going on, why they're anxious, just observing. And it really gives them power, which makes them feel less anxious. So it's, it's a really interesting, um, nice cycle that can occur and it, it feeds upon itself. But you're right, you're, it's a journey. We're human. We're going to fall off the wagon, all of us, and you just climb, climb back in. Yeah. And I mentioned the journey also in my book, cause I really do love that because, uh, you know, I think in the world that we all live now, which is like social media and everything is so well curated and, um, you know, either on Instagram or Pinterest or wherever you kind of like get your, your media, and it's so easy to kind of beat yourself up. And this is something that I, you know, address in, in the book as well. Um, but part of that is actually experiencing that life with plants and not necessarily making it look like your house or your outside of your house is the perfect Instagram or Pinterest board. To me, it's not about that. It's about, you know, taking step by step and going through the journey with your plants, because that is actually the funnest part is, is learning and experiencing that. If you miss that, then you're probably just in it just for the decor and a very superficial level of um, acknowledgement. I, my, my point is that you're missing out on a lot of those benefits if you don't start to focus on the journey itself. And so I think the, the, the idea and the concept of the journey really comes through in so many different ways, in addition to the way that you had just mentioned as well. 
Right. Absolutely. And I, I think you're, you're exactly right. Whenever you, you mentioned um, the journey with the plant, right? So before, you know, growing up, we just, we'd have plants. However, I kind of hinted that my aunt gave me a, a, her plant before she died. And that lived for another 10 years um, until it, we moved cross country. We were active duty military. And so it died, unfortunately, but that plant always was a journey, right? So when it would thrive, I would think of her when it died. I, I would think of when her, when she passed, but you know, even this, the newer plants that I just got, just noticing, I was like, wow, they're so much brighter today. They like the sun, you know, that's, they actually moved overnight. And it's just so really fun to see that it can take you outside of your stressful day. And so um, what a wonderful thing. How would you recommend someone start their journey with plants? Like when they, they've never taken care of a plant, like where would just even the basics be? Because I know a lot of this is philosophical and you talk about our journey, but let's just dive in a little bit to like, how do we even start? But that's the question I always get. Like, how do you start? I think that the, the key thing, and I actually, um, you know, do a video. I, I'm kind of going back to basics on my YouTube channel, Plant One On Me, because I think a lot of people are, are in that early stages of their journey of learning how to take care of plants. So I wanted to kind of like backtrack a little bit, even though I've been doing it for two years and then, you know, um, help some of the, the plant noobs out there um, <laughs> on their journey. And one of the episodes is called Reassessing, uh, Is Your Plant in the Right Space? It's kind of like reassessing your um, your plants and whether they are in the right place and if and what are the what's the process of actually getting a plant for your home and I think the first level of acknowledgement once you said oh I would like to actually get a plant in my home is really understanding the light in your space because if it's one thing that plants need it's light because that's actually their food source and um, and and you know, I do get a lot of questions about like, well, what plant will grow in the dark? And I'm like, a plant may grow in the dark for like a few days, but then it's just going to starve. Um, so unless you actually augment that space with light. So really becoming observational and observant in your own home and knowing what kind of direction your windows face, what kind of quality and quantity and intensity of light is actually happening. When I've asked people in workshops about what directions their, their windows face, about two thirds may not actually might know, and then a third might not know. And then I, you know, might ask the other third, well, do you notice whether the sun rises or sets? And actually, it's one of those things that we actually don't even think about. You know, a lot of people understand, like, well, the sun rises in the east here and sets in the west and in the northern hemisphere. And, um, and that's something that we don't often even observe in our home, or we might know, but we don't articulate it. So that kind of thing actually helps you to be a little bit more closer to the cycles of nature. And once you start to understand these elements, you could say, oh, well, these are, this is the type of quality and quantity and intensity of light that I have in my home. And that will actually help dictate, that's one level to help dictate what kind of plants we should have. As you'd mentioned in the beginning where you're like, well, the succulents, given their like really thick, chunky leaves and their colors, that might be something that is you know, better for a higher light environment. And so that's one way. And then also understanding a little bit about yourself. You know, you'd mentioned that you were in a military family and you're constantly moving. Well, that might actually dictate what kind of plant that you might need because um, even though you might be the most attentive plant parent, if you're constantly moving around, that could cause stress in a plant, especially because most plants are typically would be rooted in their environment. And um, 
you're giving it all different kinds of conditions and you might not be able to care for it all the time. So knowing and understanding your own lifestyle and what kind of plant parent you would be, these are things where you start to then filter down into uh, the best kind of plant for you. And of course, there's aesthetic elements and, you know, where in your house are you going to have that? Like you wouldn't put um, a long trailing hanging plant, you know, on the floor, you know, if that's, if the floor space is the only thing that you actually have versus like a shelf space. So kind of understanding those little elements and aspects of it will, I think will help people filter down into like kind of the, what, what's the best plant for their environment and for themselves. Absolutely. And that's kind of what we did. So we did, you know, and you had mentioned also, you can bring out the compass on your phone mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can't just dictate, but the West and then the Northern windows and yeah. it's just, um, but it's fun here too, because we have a balcony and there's, there's a planter here. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be great to plant some, but there's a babies in there, actually some little baby birds. And now I've been <laughs> observing the baby birds and the mama's birds chasing, well, mom and daddy are chasing off these little, little birds. So yeah. it's been really fun. Um, but so tell us how, if you don't mind, how did the, how do you care for your plants? Cause you talked about this movie meditation, which I believe is written in relation to your Sunday caring for your plants. You mentioned in the book, can you mention what that's like and what your day is when you take care of your plants? I mean, how do you do that for 700? No, you have 1100 now, 1100. Yeah, plants. Yeah. So I, you know, I, so I, I take care of my plants every day. And so every day is like slightly different, but I'm always kind of watering my plants here and there, but it's because I water over the course of the week. Like I, it never feels like it's, it builds up too much, you know, maybe occasionally if I'm traveling and then I come back home and I'm like, I haven't watered for three days, but on Sunday, that's kind of like where I really devote my time to my plants. I don't usually do meetings on Sundays. Like I usually just like stay at home and kind of like do my thing and really relax And I have, um, you know, these more efficient means to water my plants. Like I have a 150 foot expandable hose in my home. I have um, water reservoirs that actually, you know, water a bunch of plants. I have a sub irrigation system that is on my uh, wall that has like a green, that's part of a green wall that waters 80 plants. But the key to those things is that it doesn't take out the human nature or the human element of it. I still am, you know, it's not like as if it's taking out all of my watering, you know, for me, because some of the benefits of it is actually coursing around the room, observing your plants, seeing if there's anything wrong with them, watering them. Those are the types of things that actually, you know, calm you, or I should speak more for myself, but really calm me. But I think I could probably speak for a number of people who actually get those benefits just because I've met so many people that say they have you know, that the same benefits as, as I feel. And so for me, it's, it's really about spending, it could be anything from like an hour to eight hours. Like the other day, my friend was in town, um, from Mozambique and we ended up repotting a ZZ plant that I had inherited from my friend who had been growing it for 15 years and she had not repotted it for many years. And it was just busting outside the pot. And it was a literally it was like, my friend was like sweating bullets. Um, and I got a workout in, I mean, it was about two and a half hours of work of, you know, trying to repot and, um, pull apart this ZZ plant that really needed, uh, a lot of repotting. So we separated it into eight different (laughs) versions of the plant and then planted it in five different pots from one pot. 
So it was, it was uh, a lot of work, but it's like, it's good work. And you know, those, so that's the kind of experience that I go through. I wouldn't say that potting is a moving meditation. I think that is like physical labor, but the watering of the plants, the clipping of the plants, that type of thing can actually be very soothing. For some people, it could be high anxiety. And that's what I share with people that it's like really not, a lot of people fixate on the number of plants that I have. And I've been like very open about the plants that I've been acquiring over the course of the last 10 years, but it's really not about that. It's about finding that balance for you. And that balance could change at any point in your life. You know, you might be a new mom or new dad, and you might find that you don't have time for, you know, the 300 plants that you had before. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might have to pare back. You might have to go to a plant swap and give those up. You, you know, there's all sorts of things that, you know, you don't have to be defined by this kind of number or this look or whatever it might be. You just have to figure out what makes sense for you at that point in your life. Because for me, it is about like kind of being true to yourself, being mindful and having those health benefits as a, as a, you know, as a result of that. I think you're exactly right. And so a lot of times, cause I, a lot of people will you know, mention, well, I want to get a pet so I can have, you know, kind of pet therapy and have that someone to care for and this unconditional love. But in some places, you know, you just can't have a pet. Like my lifestyle, I'm constantly on the go and leaving town and doing different things. I'll have someone here watch the plant story, but the, the, but a pet makes it difficult. And, but what I'm going to start doing, because I can't just tell everyone, Oh, go get a dog. You know, it's not a good thing. And I'm going to recommend your book and to read it and then decide on what plant and then have them. I'm really going to make this part of my, as a, as a doctor working with patients, because there's so many people who are stressed. You may not even, you know, they think they're like, can I just need a prescription? Like, no, I think you need more than a prescription. The prescription may be a bridge, um, but you know, it really is um, really cool. And I think what's cool is you're so young and you resonate with even a younger generation that is highly anxious. I would say a good third of my patients who are under 35 are on some type of anxiety medication or depression medication, or, you know, the high blood pressure and they don't sleep well. And I think how, how sad to live through that life, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think in one case, like how sad, but how it is what it is. And, and then, and that's where I kind of gotten to the point where it's like, sometimes it's about managing it because even when I looked at like sugar, um, you kind of like a, sugar addiction and also sugar reliance. Um, Mm. We live in a world where that is just around us every day. Like we live in a world where it's so hard to turn off our phones and our computers, especially if like you work in that industry where you have to do that and you are a social media consultant or whatever it might be. And so that's where I'm like, well, it is what it is now. Yes, there are ways to kind of manage it. Um, and, and people are starting to learn how to manage it. And, and it's not the world that I grew up in. You know, I, I'm like in that older millennial generation where I remember what it's like growing up without a computer and like having to send you know, handwritten letters with stamps on it. And I'm, I love that I grew up in that because I think that it has given me that kind of perspective. Whereas like there are folks now who are like my teacher used to call them digital babies who who don't know how to tell time on a a clock with hands. Um, And it's just like a different kind of environment that we've, you know, grew up in. And therefore we have to develop new tools and skill sets in order to be able to 
manage it because it is going to be challenging for us to eliminate certain things. Right. Um, and, and that is something I think I don't know if I have like the, um, wherewithal or the ability to be able to, to know, like, how would I have dealt with it growing up in the environment, you know, that we, the, that we have right now. And, um, and that's a hard one to know because you didn't grow up in that environment. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I do think that this anxiety and everything is, is plaguing people much younger now. Um, you know, the same kinds of issues that I've ne- I never had, you know, growing up. Um, so it's, it's hard to know. Um, I think that you have like your, you know, your work cut out and, um, but this is something that I think has resonated with a lot of younger people. And it's oftentimes because we don't have like our own spaces of green, we don't have our own homes. We don't have a patch of grass. Um, some of us may actually live with our parents still or our grandparents, and there's no shame in that, but it does do something, you know, to our own inner psychological beings. We do second guess ourselves. We do, you know, place an emphasis. Well, are we good enough? Um, and, but what I do think that the book offers and what I hope people get from the book is that even though, you know, you're thinking about like, oh, I'm going to learn how to better care for a plant. I hope what people come off, off of it is like, I actually like know how to take better care of me. And actually part of that is putting the emphasis on you but also off of you at the same time. Because what I've always found very helpful in my life is to place myself maybe from a 30,000 foot approach and see, you know, how I am am, like important to a larger world as opposed to just my own world. Because when we're just focusing on our own worlds every day, 24 seven on social, all that kind of stuff, the anxiety kind of turns inwards. Whereas when we start to make ourselves like responsible human beings outside of the world and contributing to the, the world in a greater way, it actually allows us to um, face a little bit more outwards and, uh, and realize that it's not always about us. <laughs> and, um, and I think that helps, at least has helped in my life to you know, reduce the level of anxiety. Um, and I think that's wonderful. And we could find that through plants as well. I found that through my uh, experiences in the community garden. I found that experiences by th- sharing my love of plants with other people. And um, I- I'm just always blown away that how it's, um, it's influenced people's lives in so many different positive ways. Absolutely. And there's so many good gems that you just mentioned there that I, I could <laughs> expand on. And I know we're running out of a little bit of time, but I just wanted to say, you know, I, when you mentioned how to turn, look at a 30,000 foot you know, look, and then becoming responsible humans, but it's, I think it's finding your purpose. So I really believe that when we have younger generation, like your generation, 18 to 35, Mm -hmm. um, is at the highest risk of colon cancer now. And then any other cohort in America, even more myself, and I'll be 50 next year. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know, they don't, our guidelines say start colon cancer screening at the age of 50. Now we have to think about that younger group. And, um, one, I think, of course, what we're eating and our stress and not taking care of ourselves. But when we are so sick, so young, we miss the purpose of our life, right? So I think mm-hmm. what's so beautiful about the work that you're doing, it's an added element to help people reflect on and pull themselves out of this busy craziness. Because we're handing our children iPods to play with or iPods, iPads and mm-hmm. you know different things. When they're, they're watching this from a young age. They're not interacting. They're not, mm-hmm. but now you're bringing this to it. It's a very safe and, you know, you're not another human. You're trying to say, go talk to a therapist, although some people do need to, 
but you're just observing and you're stepping back and quieting down. You're not interacting with some electronic device, like you said, on social media. It's really, it's a nice, easy and safe method for someone to be in a place they're safe at home. They're feeling anxious, depressed or whatever down and they can look at that or even joy, right? They can share with their joy. But I think it's, it's a very powerful tool that I don't think has not been tapped in with um, the kind of work that I do with, you know, just yeah, I agree. So, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> and I think, I think, I think that you start, you see it in more, you know, Eastern cultures and you're starting to see it in more Eastern cultures, but in the Western culture, it's been like kind of long forgotten. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, what's nice about it is you bring it into a modern spin and it's something that's very approachable for anyone and wherever you are. And because there's so many different type of plants in it mm-hmm. and it just, it goes perfectly well with, um, you know, I'm always talking about healthy living and habits and habit formation and all this mindfulness. So it's a beautiful way to, to wrap it up and, um, to one nice package, but, um, Summerine, thank you so much. Is there any last, um, thing you'd like to say to the audience? Cause I, I think there's just so many things I could continue talking to you about, but, um, and we just, we're so thankful that you came on and shared with us your little bit of your history and your story. Can you, is there anything last little bit? I, and I will share obviously where we can find you on all your social media and your, your course and, uh, and everything else on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the one thing is, you know, to, to, um, you know, plants, I think can really help put people's lives into perspective if we give time for them and to know that they're on a different time scale than we are. And, um, and that makes us, gives us the ability to be able to slow down. Um, so yeah, so these are the things that I talk about and how to make a plant love you. And for those who are, you know, get a lot out of that and who want to learn how to take care of their plants more, they could turn to some of more of my tactical places that I, I know you'll, you'll feature as well. So, um, yeah, so, but it's been a real pleasure talking to you about uh, these topics because it's something near and dear to my heart. Oh, thank you again so much. And we so appreciate you. And I'm excited to continue watching your journey. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome.